back, everybody, to another week of Carpool Q&A. Here I am with Pastor Tom, heading up the road to to church. Tom's just preached at the church plant in yep. Gold Coast. Hoorah. Yep. Gold Coast, which is going well. Just finished up our Revelation series. Today, we've got some questions continuing in our, I guess, mini, mini series on homiletics. That's the theology of preaching, all things to do with preaching. First question right out of the gate. How is our homiletics shaped by Old Testament prophets and the way that they preached and the way that, and the way that they spoke? What things can we lean from the Old Testament prophets to today's preaching? Um, okay. Uh, well, there would, be, there would be a lot of widespread sort of misunderstanding about um, Old Testament prophets and what sort of their job was. Most people would be pretty, I guess, um, vague, if, if any understanding of them at all. But I, I, I would first just quickly explain them that their ministry was one of covenantal law legal representatives right they were sent into god's covenant people after they were given their covenantal promises of the land and the prophets were sent in well not just land but also the law okay so at the mountain before they entered the jews both back in Mount Sinai, but also, again, uh, just before they went into the land under Joshua and with Moses, they re-entered or re-covenanted themselves to God on the basis of the law that Moses read out to them. They heard it read, they uh, agreed to obey it and face the, the consequences if they don't and face the blessings if they do. So then once they're in the law, and that all sets up the context of what the prophets would say, once they're in the land, under the law, awaiting God's arrival, they start acting up in the very way they said they wouldn't, in the very way God said not to. They start sinning. And so the job of the prophet was to be raised up by God, sent into the people, into the very own people, and declare on the basis of the covenant that we made with God, you ought to stop sinning in these ways. Otherwise, the curses of the covenant will come upon us, but instead, we must live under the blessing of the covenant. That was the ministry of, 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 of the prophet, to, to preach the word that was given to them, which in the Old Testament was their covenantal documents. Right? That's what they called the book of the covenant, the, 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 the Pentateuch, basically, and, and, the, and the accounts of, of Joshua. And, and as time went on, they added, of course, the, the books of the prophets to them. But they were, the, they were called the books of the covenant. So, in other words, their ministry was preach the word to the people so that they are conformed to the word and are saved or if they reject the word they will be condemned so they were sent as preachers of the word with two two angles judgment and salvation if that if you've ever heard me summarize the, the ministry of the of the prophets it is largely judgment and salvation that's the two messages judgment if you break the covenant and continue to break the covenant Salvation, if you have kept the covenant, or if you now repent and and start keeping the covenant. That was always the two-pronged message of the prophets. Judgment and salvation upon the basis of the Lord. Now, some people might be wondering, when is he going to mention visions and crazy prophecies? Well, those were not the main thing. The prophecies towards the future and the, and the visions that they would have all just tied into the words that God gave them to command their faithfulness and, re and judge their faithlessness. Okay? So 
yeah, sometimes God gave them a vision to deliver to the people as a picture of their faithlessness. God gave them a vision to deliver to the people as a picture of their sin. God gave them a vision to give to the people to picture the glory that would come if they obeyed. God gave them a vision to give to the people to tell them the judgment that was coming upon them because of their sin. Whatever it was, the, the visions just played into that overall ministry. Hebrews speaks to that and says, back before we had the final revelation in Jesus, there were all sorts of ways that God spoke through the prophets. Uh, yeah, back then, we don't expect that today. So that'll be part of the answer. But yep. And of course, the, the other portion of their work was in their calling for covenant faithfulness on the basis of the word and in their preaching about judgment and salvation, they would also be prophesying the ultimate condemnation and the ultimate salvation that was coming through Jesus. So they would also look forward, like Isaiah is, is one of the easiest ones to think about. He would say, you know, you are a sinner, uh, you're, you're a sinning people, God's going to destroy you, but there is a day coming when the when a suffering servant will die for us. Okay, You're sinning, you want to repent, there's a day coming when all of God's covenant people, so the covenant keepers, will be able to inherit and live in a new heaven and a new earth. The new Jerusalem, the, the great heavenly Zion, all this stuff. And now this side of the cross on the apostles, we can now look back and see those were pointing to the to Jesus and the church. So I guess what principles of that all apply to us? Firstly, I would say that they were mostly people of the book. Any additional prophecy they got from God was authoritative, but it was ultimately just bringing the people back to God's commandments. Right? So they were people of the book. They preached the law. They preached the word of God. And on the basis of the word of God, called people to account. In that way, we, we see the apostles doing the same and also uh, preachers doing the same, I think, in the New Testament. This is part of the preacher's job is to be coming to the people of God with the word of God and saying, uh, thus saith the Lord. Not because I had a vision, but because I can read it for you. Right? That's our modern day version of thus saith the Lord is the Bible says it. So the preacher says, thus saith the Lord, here are the terms of our covenant. Now our covenant is different from their covenant. Their covenant was obey or die. Ours is believe and live. Disbelieve and die, but it's a better covenant, Hebrews would tell us. It's a much better covenant. So, which means if my job is better than the prophets, it's not a one-to-one. -one, so that would be the second application I would make. We, In a negative way, we don't preach like them in the same way because I'm not calling people to receive blessings on the basis of their obedience alone. I'm first and foremost calling people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what our covenant documents say. Then, of course, on top of that, let's not neglect the third use of the law, which is that the Christian life is a is guided by the law, and there literally is such a thing as blessing for obedience and judgment for disobedience. You can't read even the letters to the book of Revelation to the churches of Revelation that we've been doing without seeing that Jesus absolutely says there's blessing if you repent of your sin, and I'll destroy you, and close down your church, and I'll kill certain people and false teachers if you don't repent. So I get preachers. On the basis of the word, preaching judgment and salvation, uh, salvation by faith, judgment by unbelief. Uh, we are preaching the law and holding people and conforming the people of God to the to the, the law of God. And um, I think one thing that I, I would make this distinction just in our day, this would probably be helpful. 
I guess in that sense, I as a preacher am carrying on, and every preacher does, carrying on the ministry of the prophets, but with a distinguished authority of the prophets. The, the only people in the New Testament that could say, like the prophet said, thus saith the Lord, believe or die, was the apostles. They were the New Testament version of the Old Testament prophets. They wrote scripture like the prophets did. They spoke, thus saith Christ, from, from his own authority, like, like the Old Testament prophets did. And they were used in the writing of the New Covenant, New Covenantal documents. So now we don't have apostles and we don't have prophets with a capital P anymore. The, 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 the spiritual gift of prophecy is distinct from any authoritative declaration of the people of God. Right? Um, so I would just say, yeah, we, unlike the prophet, I do not preach to the people according to my vision. I study the word, I exegete it, I, I understand contexts and I apply it to people. And of course, the, th the, the final distinction is that I have the full revelation. I don't, I'm not like Jeremiah, expecting to preach to a whole lot of people, find them all confused and rebellious and, uh, and die and perishing. I'm on this side of the cross, which means I'm in the day of refreshing, Acts 3.19 tells me. Yeah. I'm in a better covenant, which this, this, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's what yeah. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 says of the new covenant. So I am expecting great fruit to come through the gospel preached, um, not general judgment. So I have an optimistic expectation of preaching. Yep. Yeah, I'm preaching from the Word, not from my vision. And I'm preaching with expectation. Oh, the mystery. This is, I'm, I'm preaching clarity. Prophets were preaching a lot of mystery. Yeah, right. right. What the heck did Isaiah mean by a new heaven and a new earth when people will live to over a hundred and the lion will lay down with the lamb? What is all this stuff? Well, now I have the clarity in the gospel and the apostles, so I can I can explain things yeah. deeper. And, and, and so I would say, we got it better than the prophets. Remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. Mm. The prophets were peering into wanting to understand what we understand yeah. in the gospel. So we got it better than the prophets. Yeah. Great. How might a biblical preacher today preach in a prophetic way? What does that look like for a preacher to have a prophetic yeah. voice or prophetic sermon? Um, like how is it used in our modern nomenclature or how should we actually see that done? Yeah, yeah. How, how should it be done biblically? Yeah, so so yeah. usually when people say, um, this person was prophetic or is prophetic or that was a prophetic message. Yeah, in the wrong way, some people will mean he was telling the future. That's, we don't, that's yeah. not the, so, so again, I, I believe in the New Testament gift of prophecy to be distinguished from preaching and to be distinguished from, uh, revel, you know, authoritative level revelation. And yet, I don't tie together the gift of prophecy and preaching. The same person may have both gifts, but it will hardly come in like you don't you don't plan that well on September I'll actually do a series speaking out of my prophecy instead of instead of the word you know like you don't you don't give a time during your exegesis of the passage in the week preparing to say uh, oh and is there any prophetic message that you want me to speak God that's not at all the the aim or well, the goal not doing it biblically so rather what we mean when we say somebody has a prophetic message or this is a prophetic sermon. We usually mean it's really, it, he saw ahead of his time. You know, he saw under the surface of our day and he, he saw beyond our time. So somebody commonly said who, who was very prophetic was like Francis, Francis Schaeffer, who years ago, decades ago, said one of the greatest um, 
the biggest problems that he sees germinating in the Western church, which will become an enormous problem in the future, is statism. The church's reliance on and pandering to and allowing the over-authoritarian totalitarianism of the state. And he saw it. And like we've lived through that the last couple of years. And, and he saw that way before it was really a big issue. And so of that and other things in our, in our, um, in our culture, he was like really good at seeing before they exploded. He was, he was very prophetic in that sense. So how might we do that biblically today? I think men who know their word know the world. Too often guys try and be prophetic and really speak to the sins of the age by studying the world so deeply. If you know the word deeply, like a real actual book that tells us about the real world we're in and the actual God over it and his view of history, his view of humanity, his, and you realize that theology is not divorced from life, but it's the lenses through which we should see all of life. When you get preachers who know the word like that, they don't have to go and study the culture. They can just see the culture from their own interactions and see the very things that God has always been speaking to humanity about, right? I read this in the prophets. I read this in Judges. I read this, You know, we're just living in the book of Kings right now. I, they can see all of that stuff through their understanding of the word. So I would say men who know the word so deeply that they can see in those, and I use the idea of that prophetic speech in two ways, they see under the surface and beyond their time. They can see the sins that are still bubbling that nobody else has noticed. They call them out. Look at what is what is occurring, what is going to occur. They can see beyond their time and say, if we don't repent, if we don't fix up, the Christian church is going to get head, run head on into these issues down the track in a generation, in two generations. And guys like, uh, like uh, Charles Spurgeon were great at that. Just saying, look, if we don't tighten up our theory of the atonement, our theory of this, our doctrine of scripture, we're going to have liberalizing churches all over the place. And it happened in England, you know, and all yep. over the West. So, yep. yeah, that's cool. Moving into New Testament. Now, how may the apostles preaching, particularly in the book of Acts, how may that inform our homiletics? What can we draw from, yeah. from the book of Acts? So, similar to what we said about the prophets... It will be a little bit similar, but I would just say from the outset, it will be uh, less layers of uh, distinction. We will be more like the apostles than we were like the prophets because they're in our covenant. Okay? So, I'm preaching the same message. So, so same message with the same promises addended to that message and with the same, yeah, the same content of message. We're in the same period of history. We're in the same covenant and kingdom as they were. So one distinction would be that they, like John the Baptist and Jesus, and like the Old Testament prophets, they were initially sent to Old Testament Israel as the divine law lawyers, right? They came to their own people, the Israelites, preached the gospel first at Pentecost and then throughout the next uh, couple of decades. And they were largely... As Jesus prophesied, they were largely persecuted from the Jews, even though there was tens of thousands of Jews that became Christians and became, you know, I mean, the first generation of the church really was just Hebrew Christians. It was years later that really the, the Gentiles became the majority. So anyway, so, so there will be a slight distinction, therefore, that I won't go into all the details, but I would just say 
in those early chapters of Acts, where the apostles are preaching to a Jewish context, expect that there will be some differences between that and how we preach to our world, because that was a highly saturated with the Word of God world. Yeah, right. uh, and and, and more, well, more so, it's that, it's that they were in covenant with God, in a, in a way that nations today are not. Yeah. And in a way that our culture is not. So there'll be a few distinctions, but by and large, especially as you see the apostles and Paul particularly start going to the Gentiles, they preached with, I'll, I'll pick three markers. Global lordship of Jesus and application of the gospel. So in other words, everybody is obligated to believe in Jesus. Everybody can come in and must come into the kingdom. That's the command of God. He, you know, Acts 17, Paul says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. There is a judgment coming. So in other words, the gospel, the good news, the message of God's salvation is not focused in on a people group anymore like it was in the Old Testament, but rather it's opened up to the to the gen, to the entire world, the whole, all the nations. Um, and you even see that progression take time in the book of Acts. It's not until like Acts 11 through 15 that you really see the apostles themselves and the Jewish Christians wrestling with how free are the Gentiles to just believe in our Savior? Mm. How, how open-ended is this gospel to the nations? Especially when so many Jews are the persecutors. So I would say, um, yeah, global gospel. Urgency would be the next thing. They compelled people to believe in Jesus, repent of their sins, be saved, them and their household, and all that they can bring with them to the Lord Jesus, because there is a day set that will be that we will be judged. Sometimes I would push back on some of my post-millennial mates, or on some of my long-view mates, who say that the preaching needs to have in it a long-view, uh, you know, um, that we can remove all all references to the soon coming of Jesus. Those all apply to eighty seventy, or they're all too far off to really give a sense of urgency. I push against that. I think we've got a while to go in terms of time on earth before Jesus comes back. But every generate every person thinks they have it figured out to some degree, and I'm willing to say, uh, we need to preach and work as if Jesus is coming back next week. But labor in such a way that would it would be wise if he doesn't come back for another 10,000 years. So I'm sowing seeds, I'm building things, I'm taking the long-term multi-generational approach, but with a vibrancy and an urgency as if he's coming back next week. Mm. So I take it one week at a time in that sense. Each Sabbath, he doesn't come back. I go back, recharge, worship again, fuel and empty yourself out the next week. Okay, he didn't come back. It's Saturday night. Let's go to sleep, get refilled, see if he comes next week. Mm. Um, so there's that sense of urgency with Paul. So that he would just go, I've only got one life and there's there's more Europe than I can handle. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. I can't spend too long here. I've, I've got to go to that continent. I've got to go to this country because Jesus needs to be proclaimed and we could go. But there's going to be other generations to do it right, Paul. But he just saw the resurrection of Jesus as imperative, as an urgent imperative on immediate. Every one of us needs to do as much as we possibly can to spread the gospel and see as many people brought into the kingdom as possible. So that's the second thing I think we should take from the apostles. And then thirdly, I would say expectation of fruit because of the covenant they're in and we're in. 
wearing the covenant of Christ, which is the covenant of the spirit of life. We are not in the covenant that kills, that destroys, that is limited, that is obsolete, that is good. There's no new, new covenant. There's mm. no such thing as anything better than the new covenant. There's no such thing as any better covenant head than Jesus. There's nothing better that you can ever expect for, wait, or hope on than the new new covenant global kingdom that is in Jesus Christ, which culminates with the recreation of the whole cosmos. So we should act like it. We should have the joy of that. We should preach of all God's promises centering in Jesus. We should uh, not distract from him through other tangents of things that are disconnected from him, but see them all as pointing to Jesus. And we should have an expectation that since now is the day of redemption and the reconciliation. Since now Jesus is enthroned and all enemies are being brought to him. Since now he has been seated on the throne and has prayed, Father, give me the nations. They're coming to him as a heritage and we should preach with that kind of expectation. Mm. Plant churches with that kind of expectation. Um, so global lordship of Jesus. Glo- glo- global, app- global application of the gospel. Yep. Urgency. Urgency. Expectation of fruit. Yep. Great. Now, if we might look into the gospels, how might Jesus's very own preaching? Ooh. How does that inform the way preachers should preach today? Okay. Um, I would say not, uh, in some senses, a lot, mm. because we always want to have Jesus' worldview. Mm. In some senses, not a lot. Because which covenant was Jesus a preacher of? Moses. Old yeah, old covenant. Yeah. yeah. Same with John the Baptist. So we make the mistake of thinking, well, if they're in the New Testament, then they must be under the New Covenant dispensation mm. and not. Jesus was an old covenant preacher. So almost everything I said before about the Old Testament prophets applied to him. Right. He also knew that most of the Jews would not be saved. There would be a remnant out of the Jews saved. So he had, not because he was negative, but because he just had a realistic, pessimistic view towards Israel. He knew that, as John said, he came to his own, but his own would not accept him. Mm. He knew that he even said, I uh, came to speak in parables so that they hear but don't hear, mm. so that they see but don't see. So he's more Old Testament than he is New Testament. He was just so close to the New Covenant that he could prophesy it with, now the kingdom of God is at our hand. Yep. It is at hand. You could reach out and touch it. Now the axe is laid to the root, laid to the root of the tree, as John the Baptist would say. So for Jesus, it's the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom is here now. Mm. But the Old Testament prophets were saying, it's coming, it's coming then, it's coming later. Whereas Jesus could now say, it's, it's here and it's come. But he wasn't. He hadn't established that kingdom until after his resurrection. Yeah. Here's why that affects preaching. Jesus in, was intentionally vague, speaking in parables, and uh, veiling his truth. He says explicitly in John 16, "I've spoken to you with 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 uh, uh, in unclear ways, but the Holy Spirit is coming, who will lead you into all truth, and then you will teach. He will teach you. You will teach others." Mm. So Jesus. In some ways, we want to look at him and go, how did he quote scripture? Let's quote him like that. Let's have the view of creation, the view of God, the view of the covenant, the view of sin that Jesus had. Yes. That doesn't always mean that we go to, that we go to Jesus and take cues for preaching without, without being careful. Because I've heard, and here's how it usually looks, and people will be familiar with this, I'm sure. Pastors often say, 
There's multiple ways to evangelize. And sometimes the best thing is to not share the gospel. Because, you know, don't you remember Jesus saying to his disciples, make sure that you go out and tell nobody that I, that I am the Messiah? And if we're not careful, we just think there's sometimes that it's really, the, the godly thing is to not tell somebody about their salvation in Jesus. Because they're, just, they're trying to be like Jesus and they don't have the hermeneutical principles to apply there to realize why that's not what he wants us to do. Yikes. That was his job. He had the messianic secret because we, well, that's what we call him, a secret about being the Messiah, because they would misunderstand it if they knew he was the Messiah before he could die and rise. Mm. He didn't want to distract from the mission. The, his mission's done now. And then he gave us the great co-mission, the mission we do with him, which was go and tell everybody, stop keeping it a secret. <laughs> so you're like, oh, some people go, we should tell, you know, they'll use the, the, we should just ask lots of questions in our evangelism instead of making statements like Jesus with the woman at the well. Well, I'm sure you have other silly reasons for coming to non-assertive declarations in evangelism as that. Mm. But that's a bad example because Jesus is speaking as an Old Testament prophet to an Old Testament uh, Samaritan and Gentile who was not in covenant with God. So he had a very particular way of talking to them. It's like, should we ever say to somebody, you're not of the same race as me, so you're a dog and you don't get any of the food off the table? Because that's what Jesus said to a Gentile woman, you know, yeah. the Syrophoenician woman. Is it ever appropriate to do that? No, because there's no longer a racial, there's no longer racial distinctions between children and dogs anymore. We're all dogs being made into children. Um, so yeah, that's why it's, it really matters. And this is very, it's like really particular and nuanced, mm. but it comes up in the funniest of places when yep. people try and be like Jesus in their preaching and actually miss it. Mm. And that's not what Jesus wanted us to do. If I was to even push back on that a little bit, what if I was to say... Give it a try. Uh, what if I was to say, well, Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. Yeah. What do we preach, Tom? We preach the good news of the kingdom. That's right. Should we not preach the same way Jesus preached? Well, they're, they're two different questions. Should we preach the message of the good news of the kingdom? Yes. Mm -hmm. But what exact things was he preaching and explaining? He was explaining it still in a veiled way mm. to an Old Testament people. In parables. Mm. So now we preach the same thing, the good news of the kingdom, but we can do that with a greater revelation because he has died and risen. Mm. So he wasn't saying, I will die for your sins and raise again, and if you trust in me, you'll be saved. Mm. Was that his message? Yes, but in a scattered, veiled way. Mm. What he was preaching was still, though, as much as they had been told up until that point, he was still preaching the, the good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom at that point is that God's salvation, all that is wrapped up in the kingdom of God, which Daniel tells us is forgiveness of sins, anointing a holy place, the people of God, um, the new covenant of, of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, all these great things. He's saying that's all happening now. That's the good news of the kingdom. Mm. The king has come. I'm him. I'm all that you've been prophesied about. That's the good news of the kingdom. Mm. So yes, he preached the good news of the kingdom, but in a way that was... Uh, the very data of his words would have been a bit different from what we can now explain. Right. So, yeah. Preach the same kingdom he preached. Preach the same good news he preached. But preach it with the full revelation that he then gave to us through his prophets. Mm. Epic. This might be a, a clarifying question. Paul says in Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders, Yes. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Yeah. How does a preacher preach the whole counsel of God? What does that look like? Um... 
Yeah, good question. I think last week I said something. Um, you mentioned it. That I might repeat myself saying now. Yeah, sure. Um, or maybe this was a couple of weeks ago in one of our, the Q&As. It, I'll, I'll just say the... Um, so he actually uses a few synonyms. He says, I preached to you the whole counsel of God. I preached to you the gospel of grace. I preached to you the kingdom. And I preached to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're all synonyms to Paul. The kingdom, the kingdom of God, the gospel of grace, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and uh, the whole counsel of God. Mm. Right? So, and that is because, as we said before, everything culminates, the apostles saw that everything culminates on Jesus. So another question could be, how can you preach the whole counsel of God if you're preaching Christ Christ crucified only, he says. I knew nothing except Christ Christ crucified. Mm. Well, it is to say that you preach all of the Bible and all of the the stories of the Bible, all of the meaning of the Bible, all of the, the themes of the Bible, but you always connect them to Jesus and you don't preach them until you see how they point to and are fulfilled in Jesus. Okay? Two distinct, some people think they're the same thing, just saying different words, different things. How they point to Jesus and then how he fulfills their meaning. Okay. Okay. So that, that's how I, 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 in a very short answer, that's how I'd suggest doing it. Preach all the Bible in a way that gets us to Jesus and show us how we down-ramped through the word and rock it up through the, through the gospel and the theme of Jesus. Um, mm. How good. How good. We are here. How good. We are pulling up and about to go inside. Thanks for your time, Pastor Tom. Absolutely. See you guys all next week. Bless you.